My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is returning for his fourth conversation as part of our Race and the Renaissance series. Please welcome back my friend and brother from the Being Husband podcast, Jonathan West. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. I don't know if you can feel it, but things are getting tense out there. Not tense as in I feel an explosion building, but tense as in the fault lines of American society and the Christian church have been revealed, and now they're rubbing against each other. The word for that is earthquake. Take Twitter, for example. The debate over Christian nationalism, biblical patriarchy, and Christian masculinity has been fierce, and in that dialogue, it's become clear who's on what side. And to be super clear about what that means, it isn't a question of saved versus unsaved. Not at all. Just a question of who shares similar beliefs about how Christianity touches ground and touches grass in the lives of men, women, and families. But other fault lines are also clear. Zionism versus nationalism, for one, as well as hardcore devoted feminists of both sexes versus those who are looking for something better. The racial lines are grinding against each other also. So are the lines of so-called sexual orientation, with men becoming women and women becoming men, so to speak, a clear-cut issue which permits no gray areas, and I can name much more. And all these fault lines cut through the Christian church as well, and there are more to come. In that hypercharged environment, I think two things matter. First, having productive labor to engage in. What are you doing as a man to drag yourself away from the socio-political football game on social media and focus on what you can control and what you can build? I don't care what it is. A business, a body, a Bitcoin stack, a Bible reading practice, more babies, whatever. You need something to take you off the playing field from a discussion you probably can't control and to orient you towards the things you probably can for when the earthquakes start rocking your little corner of the world if they haven't already. And the second thing is friends and brothers to hash things out with. As in, here's a guy I know and who loves me and who disagrees with me on just enough stuff to challenge me but not so much that it'll come to blows, except about pineapple belonging on pizza, which it doesn't, and that is a subject I'll fight you over. But short of that topic, I believe a man should have friends in his life that mirror him, but think differently from him in significant ways. We need guys around us that look at the six and say it's a nine, or maybe even think it's a lowercase g, but who are equally committed to seeing clearly and expressing the truth. That's not only fun, but it helps us solve problems in new and creative ways, and come to a greater understanding of our own worldview through articulating it. I'm very lucky to have a man like that in my life, and his name is Jonathan West, who has just become my top podcast guest based on number of appearances, which is four. And that's a testament to him 
his perspective, how he sees differently because of his unique background, and thus solves problems differently. That means, because I love this guy, I have to figure out how to reconcile my beliefs with his, to find common ground, to learn from him, and to not be so certain that my way is the right way and the only way. That is of incredible value to me, not just for the benefits I get from it, but from my enjoyment of the process, and also the way that our conversations and our relationship have evolved over time these past three years. I pray that you have friends and brothers in your life like Jonathan as well. In our conversation, we discussed how European culture isn't one thing, the infiltration of jazz, the essence of a Christian government, the Americanization of Christianity, biblical curses on men and women, Jonathan's journey of humility, and how we've radicalized our Canadian brothers. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and a five-star rating on Spotify. Plus, share this episode or another one of your favorites with a friend. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, providers of fine coffee beans, hand-roasted by Grandpa, I mean Pastor, Brandon Lansdowne in Springfield, Missouri. Reformation Coffee is part of my daily ritual, with rising early, morning sunshine, and scripture reading, and I'd like it to be part of your day whenever you drink coffee, including after dark, because allegedly they have a decaf roast that snuck onto their lineup for those later night, post-dinner sessions. You can learn all about Reformation, their mission, and their blends by going to reformationcoffee.com and checking out their Ethiopia, Brazil, India, and Guatemala roasts. And when you sign up for a regular delivery subscription, use the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag on the house. Proverbs 17.17 reads, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is built for adversity. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, a friend and brother from the Being Husband podcast, Jonathan West. So, Jonathan, you just you just hit me with a big piece of news. You're black. Actually, I'm actually a black man. You uh, you haven't internalized the white supremacy enough for it to truly make your skin white yet. I think that's why I'm getting the flu so much. I think it's my body rejecting it. So, like whatever oh. this is, I just keep getting the sniffles, and so it's over. It's over. It's so over. <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do now, man. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't do know how we're gonna how are we gonna tell people? Uh I plan on doing a podcast release series. I'm oh, okay. Black, y'all. I'm black, y'all. I'm black and I'm black. I'm black, y'all. And that's gonna be the whole series. The first one's I'm black, y'all. The second one is I'm black, y'all. The third one, I'm black and black, and I'm black, y'all. I think that I think that could be big. Could be huge. <laughs> well, well, now that we've started this out with this religious earth-shaking revelation i don't know where do we even go where do we even go from here dude i I don't know it's been i guess how long like a year two years since we've done this has it been a year it might have been no it hasn't been two it's it's i think we've done one in the past year but i can't say when Mm -hmm. it's been a minute man it's been a real and and a lot has happened since then uh with both of us man like a lot a lot has happened since then we, the last one we did was actually called Grace in the Renaissance, and it ended up becoming a conversation about us as Christian brothers than it, than it did about uh, race, which I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I almost think that like the conversation at some point 
the conversation has to be had about race. But then once that's had, then it's got to move on to something higher. And I hope that this one, based on what we've talked about before, this we started recording, I think this one will probably be the same. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, that's one of the that's one of the best parts is that I think we did this for our first podcast. I think it was like in 2021, mm-hmm. right? That was the first race in the Renaissance when I was on the road filming the documentary. That would have been May of 2021, I think is when that was. And we've done a number of them, them since then. And it's actually very, it'd be interesting for someone to go back and like listen to the series and be like, oh yeah, and watch the conversation, watch the conversation evolve over time to where it's at today with both of us being radical right-wing extremists. Politically homeless. Well, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a good, that's a really good question because, you know, the conversation that we, we were having earlier talking about Christian nationalism and what that looks like. One thing I don't see a lot of, and it doesn't mean it's not there, but one thing I don't see a lot of is like, where are the black people talking about Christian nationalism? Are there any, like you have Jason Whitlock who kind of dances around some of these subjects and I'm like, I don't really follow him, but our mutual friend Benito, shout out Benito, sends me a lot of his stuff. Yeah, and so I don't, I, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't really seem like much of. Is it a, is it a subject of discussion at your churches? Are you hearing black people talking about Christian nationalism at all? It's funny because like I don't go to a I don't go to a black church anymore, and not because I don't want to, but because it's been really hard to find. It's been really hard to find one that wasn't trying like anybody it's it's been hard to find a church in general for most people that the pastor's not just trying to sell his latest book or mm. talk like there's you know the the you know i live in the bible belt but the prosperity gospel is alive and well down here like it is anywhere else and so Man. it's 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 in black churches it's in white churches like it's it's hard to find a good church it's one that we've landed at now is actually uh uh one that's pretty mixed um and it is a nod to nom. And honestly, how we made the choice, because a lot of people are like, oh, nod to nom. It's like, listen, man, like, here's the reality. I just want to take my son somewhere where he's going to get the gospel and don't worry, have, and I don't have to worry about him getting diddled. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, wow. That's you know what I'm saying? Like, so pardon me, right, that, that it's not the ideal church for me. But one of my biggest things right now is, man, just get the next generation. Like yeah. this, this thing is on fire. If we can get the next generation um, focused on building and focused on serving Christ, we're going to be in a better spot than where we're at now. Because at this point, everybody's just been chasing materialism and we're all just trying to figure it out. I mean, we're at the pinnacle of materialism with technology mm. uh and even the conversation that we're having around race. Like, I mean, all like that's a that's a materialist conversation in some sense. Like you have and you gotta have it, right? Just like you have to talk about your money, just like you have to talk about, you know, the things that are tangible, you gotta talk about it. But, you know, and then at the risk of being Gnostic and like wanting to reduce everything down to like this ethereal spirit, but like we have to get to a place as a culture where we especially with AI and everything going on, where we get back to the fundamentals of humanity. And I think to your point of, to your question before about, is this happening in the black churches? I don't think that it is as far as Christian nationalism is concerned. I think primarily because the, the terms of the conversation, like what I was telling you before have been 
have been almost like, hey, black people, y'all got to get on white people's wave. Otherwise, you're going to hell is kind of the interpretation. Wow. OK. Right? And I'm not saying that that's an accurate one, but I'm saying and again, to, to what I was saying before, we the, when you say things like not you, but when people say things like Western, right, you need to get with Western culture. It's like, OK, I'm cool with that. But like, does that mean that I have to uh, kiss the ring? Right. And it's that's kind of what it seems like is being pushed forward. And it and I don't know that that's an accurate depiction of it, but that's almost what it seems like is being pushed forward. And so I don't think black people are having a conversation. In fact, I've heard from black folks that are they're a lot more like liberal than I am. But they would say it just sounds like uh, white separatist rebrand, you know, Mm. and I don't know, you know, like I and that's what I'm hoping to kind of hash out so that I can come to an understanding because I because like. When I when I'm on right wing Twitter, it kind of does seem like a white nationalist rebrand, you know. Sure. I don't know what to make of it? It's it's really tough as yeah you know, as we were talking about as we were talking about earlier because I I'll, first of all right wing Twitter in many ways is a white nationalist rebrand and this is what what, what right wing Twitter is is what happens to the West when you take Christ out of it. Yeah. And that's like you get you get the Bronze Age perverts, like you get the you get the guys like that. When you take Christ out of the West, it turns the tri- it turns the West into not as much of an idol as anything else becomes, but it also loses it also loses a sense of scope, it loses a sense of heart and it becomes it becomes very powerfully self-serving. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I don't navigate in those circles because it's very obvious what's going on there and what isn't going on there, no matter what they say. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I tend to navigate in the Christian nationalist circles, right? Which there's some, there's some overlap, mm-hmm. right? But I tend to stay away from the gab side of the conversation. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, look, I respect what Andrew Torva has built, but I, I think the way that he goes about doing what he does is, is, is ultimately is wrong on some level, but we can talk about that separately. So I, I think the Christian nationalist conversation, at least in the pools that I swim in, tends to be along the lines of we identify as Christians first, like in terms of our identity hierarchy. I'm sure. a Christian first, right? I'm a man second, mm-hmm. right? I'm a I'm an American third, and mm-hmm. I'm whatever race I am fourth. Fantastic. Right. And, and we can agree on a lot of that, but like I don't know that that conversation is had publicly that way. And it should be. Yeah. And it- Really should be. I think I think because we're in the midst of a culture war and everybody feels it and everybody sees it, I think that's what's we're 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 fighting at that kind of tertiary level. We're not fighting right. against the kingdom of darkness. We're almost fighting against wokeism. Right. And yeah, I under, and I understand that and I understand that that's a fight that needs to take place. But what gets what gets lost in that, uh, particularly for blacks is like okay so you're fighting wokeism but like is it okay for me to be proud of my my cultural heritage is it all right for me to be proud of the music that we've built the the contributions that we've made in america like is it okay to be proud of that and what i think and i've talked about this before on this podcast what i think happened for me uh in the midst of like me developing my faith in crisis as i started to read 
a lot of the reformers and I started to listen to a lot of pastors, it almost it almost seemed like it was not okay to be uh to have a cult. Right. So I'll give you an example. The Puritans, the Puritans, there was a sect of them. So I'm not going to paint this brush with every Puritan, sure, but the Puritans, yeah. um, were very much against herbs and spices on food because they believed that it increased sexual arousal. This was, I think, this was, I, I think the Quakers and maybe the seventh day Adventists as well, but like those were the two sex. And so it's like, when you did, when you deal with, and, and I, I went to a church of Christ school that kind of developed some of it's thinking around like how we play music and how we worship around some of these ideas. And so when you come into that as a black guy that comes from a Baptist background, or even if you look at, you know, Nigerian Pentecostals, it's a much more expressive faith. It's a much more, mm -hmm. if you could even say flamboyant, obviously not in a homosexual way, but it's a lot more like flamboyant yeah. expression. And so when you come to an environment like that and they're like, oh, well, like you got to do it our way. It's like, okay, like I'll do it your way. And I did, you know, I, I was respectful when I went to church of Christ school. I didn't clap, even though I wanted to, music was good. I clap my hands and I didn't doubt it, never shouted, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I definitely oh. wanted to clap my hands because the music was good and I love Jesus. And so sure. I just thought that it was, um, I thought that it was respectful to do that at that time, but it almost, it, it almost seems like what, is being proposed because we're going back and forth on the culture stuff is like, no, you got to do this. You got to do this the Western way. And there can be no deviation from that. And then I, so I think a lot of it, a lot of it has, because we say Western, but like we almost have to describe what it is that we're saying when we say Western in order for, if, if we're, if you're going to have inroads and have black people be a part of that conversation, um, you, you almost have to have a conversation around what is Western because the assumption yeah. is, white or anglo you know mm, let's dig into that real quick i, I want to talk about the different forms of religious expression and puritanism i want to definitely want to talk about that because i have i have some thoughts on it but let's talk about what does it mean to be white or anglo because this is right-wing twitter right as we were talking sure. about before we actually started recording like a lot of these right-wing twitter guys will uh will claim all of western all of european heritage for as anglo but yeah. meanwhile, like the Scandinavian, you know, is not the same as British, is not the same as Italian, is not the same as Greek. He's like, mm -hmm. that's, it's a continent. It's a bunch of different cultures. And yet somehow it's all theirs. And, but then they'll try to be these like Norse pagan, like we're Norse pagan, like Scandinavian, blah, blah, white culture. It's like, bro, you guys warred with the Roman empire forever. Have you seen gladiator? Like yeah, you weren't lost. friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean the, 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 yeah, the, that's it, and it is. It's it's it would it would be the it would be like me wanting to take credit for you know the develop the development of uh, Nigeria, right? Or you know what I'm saying? Like, which which you have, right? 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 Yeah. Or take credit for you know, the development of Ethiopia? It's like you know the, those Ethiopia, and even within Ethiopia has subcultures. An Ethiopian uh, culture is completely different than Nigerian culture, which is completely different than Black American culture, because that's almost like a hodgepodge of a lot of different things. You know what I yeah. mean? So, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think when we say Western, we have to define what that is. So, like, if you if, if you if somebody were to ask you, OK, what is Western ideology? Right. Give me the like three tenets of Western ideology. What would you say that it would be and why should we adopt it? 
as a as a as a as a society i would say i would say science as a as a process of understanding the material world i would say moral law as transcendent mm-hmm. and christ as reconciling us to god mm-hmm. like those would be the three those would those would be the three and between those three tenets you could probably get because those are three really big ideas the For idea sure. that the material world can be understood through rational inquiry and experimentation mm-hmm. the idea that moral law is not culturally relative it comes down from above and the third is that we can never fully keep the moral law so god enables us to sort to bridge that gap i think mm-hmm. those those i think those three and actually did a uh, i don't know did you see my ultra mega viral tweet that i did on on twitter a few weeks back Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, so, so it was a tweet about uh, India and Japan and about, cause I've traveled to both those countries and both those countries are, are sick in very different ways. Japan is a very, is a very clean, very safe country. India is not clean. It's not terribly safe. And I spent a lot of time thinking that no, no two countries on earth could be more difficult, different from an industrialized level. And so the tweet was essentially about the ways that Japan is on the the high achieving perfectionist end of the spectrum, which is which is counterproductive to their mm-hmm. society, and mm-hmm. and India is on the other end of of the achieving, relatively low achieving, just get the job done however you can end of civilization, and that's sick in its own way. And how powerful America is because of America's Christian ideals that go right down the middle. Like you try as hard as you can, and you do a good job for the sake of doing a good job but you know it's not the end of your family lineage if you fail. Like if you screw up in Japan, it's your grandfather's fault. Your whole lineage has been shamed, right? And in, and in India, they don't even really try as hard as, as hard as they could. And I'm not the first person to make that observation. So the notion that like, okay, uh, about the three tenets of Western civilization, you have scientific rational inquiry to understand and improve upon material circumstances, mm-hmm. right? And you try like these principles come down from above and they're fixed and immutable and you can't change them and you try as hard as you can but when you fail there's forgiveness like those three ideas i think are western in nature because mm-hmm. the question the, the question that i've got is is like so the west when we when we talk about the west we're meaning greek roman and every culture that's been influenced by them since is that right that's yeah, I, I might right. throw in, yeah, Greek, Roman, I might throw in, I might throw in like whatever Israel, right? Yes. Like it's, it's like technically Judeo-Christian isn't a thing. Like if you want to say Judeo-Christian is a thing, then you have to say like Judeo-Christian Greek is kind of what you have to say or is real, is the real, if you really, yeah, but yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I didn't realize, see, my, my, I never understood the, is that almost gets lost? Because when, when people do a lot of, um, like posts or uh, conversations around the West, a lot of what gets talked about are uh, what happened in Europe and not what happened in the Middle East or not what happened in Jerusalem yeah. or not what happened in Northern Africa. And I don't, I, I don't have a dog in that fight because I'm not trying to suggest that one culture is superior to another one necessarily. I think they all have different gifts that they bring to bear. Uh, but what, I'm, what what seems to get lost in that conversation of Western is the fact that, well, a lot of your 
all of your faith happened as far as its development, maybe not in its canonization, but in its development happened in the Middle East. It happened in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. at least with the Old Testament. And then yep. the Newer Testament, it, you know, it spread its way to, to, to Rome. So I, I, what I see representative of Western is not an idea of we, we owe homage to Middle East or, or anything like that. It's all, it seems almost consistently Europe. And that's why I think you lose a lot of inroads as far as like black people are concerned, because it almost, it, 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 it almost kind of like harkens back to this idea of like, uh, you know, whitewashing the gospel. And mm -hmm. I, I, everybody, everybody will say Jesus was black. Jesus was white. I don't have a dog in that fight either. Like, I think that's, I, I think it's, he didn't look like he didn't look like me. He probably didn't look like you. No. He probably looked closer to like you know Mike Pentile. Shout out to Mike Pentile or, or to Mike or uh, or uh, you know someone from someone from from someone from Jerusalem. He probably was tan, mm -hmm. dark haired, mm -hmm. and so which is also irrelevant, right? It's also immaterial. It's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But again, like again, if you're if you're the so it's it's irrelevant. But like if you're the people that didn't create the art and weren't the cultural hegemony and the art looks like a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes like all the art around christ is centered around that mm -hmm. people feel the type of way and so then when you come around saying hey western this and western that and like you got all these pictures of like you know uh david's sculpture in the sistine chapel it's like man are you are you just pushing uh europeanism <laughs> like mm -hmm. you know what i mean or are you actually pushing something that all christians could get behind and that's where i think the disconnect happens you know can i actually be a part of this team and also hold fast to the expression that my culture has toward the faith that i also have you mm -hmm. know, my, in a lot of sense my culture gave me my faith right mm -hmm. god gave me my faith mm. but it was introduced to me by my culture right like mm -hmm. I wasn't born to black parents. I wasn't born in the black church. And so a lot of what I've learned about God is not separate from what happened at my, at my, you know, black missionary Baptist church, you know, mm -hmm. God used it in the same mm -hmm. way he uses your experiences, you know? That's a good point. That makes me want to make a meme because a lot of people are, are making fun of the woke ideology thinking mm -hmm. that like, Oh, like the little mermaid has to be black in order for, you know, black people to be able to see themselves reflected in the story of the little mermaid. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, cool. But then like, but then why do you have these right wing Twitter guys that can't imagine themselves reflected in Christ unless Christ is blonde haired and blue eyed like they are, you know, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same kind of thing. It's ethno, it's ethno centric at the end of the day and, and, and superficial and superficial and superficial. It's like, so you can't worship God unless he looks like you? <laughs> well, the, by the way, like there's a whole commandment about that. It's like no graven images, dog. Like there's yeah. literally an entire commandment devoted to this very issue. <laughs> the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. Shh, yeah. Shh, shh, shh. No, I mean, it's, it's a really good point. And I, I think that's why. The reason why I think there's supposed to be no graven images is because you're not supposed to get fixated on a version of Christ that is not relatable to you, right? Like, like they could have included physical descriptions for Christ, for Paul, for all these people. You know, God could have inspired that, but He didn't, right? There, there's no information about about what a lot of these men looked like, 
And the purpose, I think, like, I, I don't think God's laws are for God's benefit. He doesn't need us. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to follow those laws for his benefit. It's for ours. This is our instruction manual about how we're made and how we're designed. If we follow the instruction manual, it goes well for us in the land, right? Right. right. So, so why would there be a note for our own benefit? Why would there be a commandment about no graven images that would benefit us? Because if you make a graven image, first of all, you're likely to make a graven image in your own image, not mm-hmm. the image of God. Right. And so, and so you lose sight that God is so much more than you. But then also, if you don't make God in your own image, you make God an image that's other than you, but he's also personal, right? He's both imminent and transcendent, and you can't capture those in a single image. You can only capture one at best. And so these grave, this graven image thing, like I've really come around on it. Like I didn't think it was that big a deal. And people say it's not, it's just for worship, like no graven images for worship. But I really think having graven images warps our imagination about who it limits it. It powerfully limits our imagination of who Christ and and God is so much so that the long hair, beard, soft featured kind of man has been so driven into our minds mm-hmm. to, to read Isaiah. Is it Isaiah 53 where it's like he had no, he had no good looks that we should look on him. Like he was an average looking dude. That was mm-hmm. so challenging when I read that. Like he was just the dude on the bus is like, yeah, I'm God. Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Our superficial, visually oriented culture—it's very unusual. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, and 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 it's funny because you know all throughout the Old Testament, like you know he he uses he uses the humble to yep. humble the proud, right? He uses the comely looking people uh, and the and the the not so powerful, and he exalts, yeah. you know, and and it would make sense that he would he would. And I mean, and even Christ said, like I, well, Saul, Paul actually said this, he was writing, he said he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he humbled himself. Yeah. Became a man, became a carpenter, became a blue collar worker, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he came down as. And, you know, and so, and so, and so that you blue collar guys don't get too high on the horse either. He rejected all of it at 33 and became a minister, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and know? he was even more poor. <laughs> He was super poor then. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, uh, that's where I think the breakdown happens is that I think that the, the loudest voices and perhaps the ones that are better at marketing or branding currently are branding West Westernism. And maybe there needs to be a distinction between Western, uh, you know, saving the, the, the idea of saving the West and Christian nationalism. Maybe there needs to be a dissociation in some sense with that because they're two different aims. I I don't know if they're trying to do the same things, I guess. I think one of the things I've been reading lately, I just finished Doug Wilson's mere Christendom. And one of the things that he talks about in that book that is related to this is that Christians are not meant to take dominion with the sword. You know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to take dominion. What does he say with word, water, bread, and wine, right? People are supposed to be, uh, they're supposed to be uh, convinced, not coerced, right? And yeah. and and that's how Christ- Christendom spreads, not by the sword. Sorry, mm-hmm. Catholics. So like, so that's that's how you win people over is from the heart outwards. Mm-hmm. And and maybe there's something to that with this dialogue around Western values as well. Is to say like this is not something that we should go spread with at at the tip of tip of a, at the barrel of a gun, mm-hmm. but as a as a promise as a promise of material 
of, we'll say, righteous material prosperity because I think we've achieved unrighteous material prosperity in America, and I think that's a valid criticism. How do we win people over to these sets of values in in a way that lets them preserve their cultural expression? Because this is something I think a lot about. What does what does a Christian Japan look like? Mm. Like like I don't. What's yeah. that? A Christian jhana. Yeah, like yeah. what has to go in order, like if we're supposed to disciple the nations, let's say the post-mill vision, if we're supposed to disciple the nations, how do I go talk to a Japanese person or a Chinese person or a Mongol picket, right? Or, or mm-hmm. yeah, especially especially because I think, Jap- I think Japan is probably not very Christian. I know that China isn't. But if that whole nation were to become Christian, what does that do to many of their own cultural expressions? How do they determine what stays and what goes if a lot of it is based on ancestor worship and spirits and Taoism? How do you how do you separate the meat from the bones? I have no idea. I don't know that anyone's even thought about it. No, no, I, I don't know that anyone has thought about it either. What's what's funny about that is that uh, the 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 ancient Hebrews in the Old Testament also were big into like. Not necessarily ancestor worship, but veneration for sure. Like mm-hmm. when you think of the way that uh, I think was it Moses how he introduced himself. Um, I don't know if it was Moses. I can't remember. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who it is. Maybe it was Moses, but it was always like I'm such and such, and I worship the God of my fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm-hmm. right? And so there was this sense of like ancestral veneration that I think even happened with the Old Testament Jews and. I don't know if Rome was that way at all, but I, I would imagine most most pagan cultures or pagan influenced cultures probably all had some form of like ancestral veneration that happened, and and it's interesting because the the commandment uh, the commandment says no other gods before me, mm-hmm. but it like doesn't rule out. It doesn't say no gods. It just says no other gods before me, and I think about that a lot because I don't mm-hmm. really know what to do with that. It's like, is God like, and I don't have any other gods that I know of. Like, I think, you know, I'm praying for it. Pray if I do have some, you know what I mean? But, but, but it, it, it does ask, it, it makes me ask the question is like, is God okay with you holding up something as obviously not to the same level as him, but holding up something to a higher standard than you do yourself? And he just asks that, you, or not asks, but commands that you don't hold anything higher than him. Like, he's, he's the, he's the chief. Right. If you want to like venerate Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, cool beans, but just remember who the who the honcho is in the mm-hmm. situation. Um, but I, I I don't know what it would look like in Japan and in China. I, I don't know if it would be a situation where they still honor their ancestors, but they understand that their ancestors can't save them. You know that there's mm-hmm. no karmic. Uh, there's no uh, a karmic kind of like influence. There is like the the the, the only way that you get saved and blessed in this life is by the hand of God and at the feet of Christ. And so I, I don't know what it would look like, man. I've never been to China or Japan. Mm-hmm. I'm uncultured. I, I've, I've been, I've been in the South my whole life, man. The furthest, furthest place I've been is Canada. And mm. that's really just America light. Diet America. Diet America. <laughs> Zero <Yeah>. sugar. <laughs> yes, exactly. Zero. Zero, yeah. Zero sugar America. Zero. Yeah. Not even a lot. Zero. Less sugar, less caffeine. Less sugar, less caffeine, no carbonation. It's no really car- <laughs> It's just maple syrup, bro. That's dunking, all. dunking on Canada. 
I love Kurt so much. Kurt's a great guy. <laughs> Shout out, Kurt. That's Shout out, Kurt. But yo, Canada is no spice, dog. Uh, well, and and Brendan from Masking Revival and Mike. And also Mike Pantelis. They're, they're all Canadian. <laughs> How does that work? I don't know. Well, it's funny. These guys, those guys are spicy on Instagram, man. It's like they're uh, spicy. Yeah, it's almost like they they got some hot wings, man. And, and, and you know what it is? What is they have? They have internalized American supremacy. That's exactly what it is. Proud of those guys. Proud of you Good. guys. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> they've all, I love, I love how like uh, they've all, we, we actually, all of us, we've all gotten so radicalized over the past three years. You remember when we <laughs> met? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I'm a uh, dude. I, I think the COVID era was very, very important. Oh yeah. Everything had to be questioned. Even your own, where you were faith-wise, like, was your faith genuine? Did you have faith, right? Mm -hmm. And then even outside of that, it's like, okay, you know, what am I actually supposed to do with my life? How am I supposed to raise my children? How am I supposed to lead my wife? Who, like, who am, like, on a fundamental level, it caused everybody to ask those fundamental questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Uh, You know, what's wrong with the world? How does what's wrong made right? Right. That's mm-hmm. the apologetic kind of like breakdown. And I think everybody had to ask those questions. And some people landed in some wild places, man. And some people, yeah. some, <laughs> some people landed in some wild places. And that's even a big question, too, about Christian nationalism is like, that's going to be an enclave, man. I don't know that that's a broad America thing. I mean, I think what we're going to see is like a, like a red team, blue team state deal. Honestly, like I think it's kind of already happening. Like a lot yeah. of the Californians that didn't like California just moved to Texas or they came to Tennessee or they went to Florida. Yeah. Wipe you the know. blue off your feet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know what, what happens after that, but yeah, I mean, I think it's more of an enclave thing than it is like an overall, I would love to see revival. I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it happens. I would love to see a revival. I just don't know that it happens because there's too many competing interests, even in our own side of the the aisle. You know what I mean? Because you've got you've got Save the West bros, and then you've got Christian nationalist bros, and those guys have a lot of the same values, but their ends are different. Like their intentions are different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? Like what do you what like what do you do with that? <laughs> As a God that is a big proponent of Christian nationalism, how how do you how do you deal with that? So I guess in the same way, you could probably turn the same thing as how do you deal with the Hebrew Israelites, you know? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, I got nothing. I don't even know. They don't, they, don't, <laughs> they don't return my calls. So return your calls. Yeah. Because you're I don't know if you knew that. What? Yeah. That did. Wait, say wait, say that again. You're a white guy. I don't know if anybody's oh, no one's told me before. Now, I don't know what flavor. You may be like German, you may be Dutch, you may be English, but you're definitely white. It's tough. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot today, man. I know. Listen, I, I did not wake you up. You still come this. to the cookout, but you can have- I? If you can do the wobble, you can still come to the cookout. If you can't do the wobble, you're uninvited. Oh, uh, I can do the wobble. I can do anything. My mom. Yeah, said. that's right. That's right. There yeah. you go. <laughs> well, like, 
Well, sometimes I, I, sometimes I forget because, you know, I did live, and this is true. I actually lived in the, in the, in the black theme dorm in college for a couple of years. We've talked about that. Yeah. You know, it was like, and, and I, I did, I was assigned there. And yeah. so it was, it was uh, so, so like, uh, so I learned, I learned a lot. It was, that's it why was, you got so much soul, man. <laughs> that's <amazing>. Yes. <laughs> I, you, you may be, here's the thing. You may be uh, a guy that appreciates Christian nationalism and Western values, but like, if it's the early Saturday morning, there's a cool, brisk air, you might cut on a little Marvin Gaye. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bill Withers. Little Otis Redding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I was in when I was in New Zealand, driving around in my van, like, Bill Bill Withers, like, I can't write left-handed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bill Withers is great. Yeah. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, everywhere except Phoenix, where it's still like 90 degrees. However, elsewhere in America, it's cooling down, the leaves are turning colors, girls are ordering their pumpkin spice whatevers, and you're probably thinking about what you're going to ask Santa to put under the tree this year. And since all my listeners are on his nice list, and will get everything they want wrapped up in a little bow, I have a suggestion. How about coffee? This is something you'll probably use every day, unlike that holiday sweater. It's delicious, unlike a new pair of socks. It makes you feel great, unlike a fruitcake. And especially, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Because you can go to ReformationCoffee.com and not just order coffee, but subscribe to it weekly, bi-weekly, or even monthly. That's right, you can get coffee delivered to you even when it's cold in Phoenix or hot wherever you are and every day in between. And with Reformation Coffee, you can choose from Ethiopia, India, Brazil, and Guatemala Rose. And it's never cold in those places. Plus, I have it on good authority that Reformation may be experimenting with a new top-secret blend. I could tell you, but then Brandon would have to kill me. And that would put him on the naughty list, and we can't have that now, can we? So instead, I'll just drop hints and say that this new project that he's working on might require me getting a whole new set of coffee gear for season two of Will Reforms His Coffee. Pretty exciting, huh? You can be a part of this by going to reformationcoffee.com and ordering several bags of coffee for you, your friends, your family, your wife, your kids, your neighbors, and your coworkers. Heck, even the mailman. Brandon will roast them up for you in three days and ship them right away. And even though Santa isn't Christian, Reformation Coffee is, so you can knock two icicles down with one stone and celebrate the holidays while glorifying God and helping a good man provide for his family. I think that's a win-win. So again, go to ReformationCoffee.com right now and start your holiday shopping. And when you sign up for a regular coffee subscription, use the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag on the ho-ho-ho house. Yes, I had to. Happy sipping, friends. When you told me that you could make a case that jazz actually contributed to the decline of the West, when you first told me that, I was like, "I can't be friends anymore." Well, no, no, I, well, no, no. I was like, eh, eh. "Dude, like John Coltrane's great." I mean, if that's the decline of the West, and like, at least we got some Coltrane records out of it. You know what I mean? Like, sure. we still got some Bill Withers out of it. Because I, yeah, because I do. I mean, I think that what's funny about it is that. Cultures, cultures aren't like stagnant, are they? Sure. They kind of develop over time. So like John Coltrane, like jazz is like a Western form of music. Like who else created it? Sure. Nobody else created that, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know. I, I I guess I guess I almost think that I almost think that distancing yourself because because jazz also birthed bluegrass, right? And then it yeah, birthed rock and roll to that, right? So rock and roll. So I don't know that you. I don't even know at this point if you could like. I mean, I think you're right. I don't th- necessarily think that you're wrong in saying that. But it's also so. I mean, we're at least six, what six, seven generations in as far as like jazz music and stuff goes. Like you're talking about the twenties, like nineteen twenties, a hundred years. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's here. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear. You know what? Because I think you said it was Ebaco Joe's book that that was talking kind of about that loosely. Uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't, he wasn't talking about jazz per se, but he was talking about how you had, you had Western culture, which was primarily, which we'll say like European, which we'll broadly call European, maybe for the sake of, we'll just call it Anglo is not the word as we talked about, but like, we'll call it European, Western European culture, right. Of a, of a continent of a, of a number of different peoples and their ideas from an entire continent. So we'll call it European. Mm -hmm. And so what jazz was, was an expression of a very foreign culture to that, Mm -hmm. that was brought into the United States and that, that began kind of trumpeting, uh aha, its own values in this world. Now you can make the case that a lot of these European Western values had become stagnant. And the reason why I think jazz took off after World War I is that a lot of people, a lot of Europeans in particular, saw the horrors of World War I and it broke their spirit. There was a lot of nihilism when they saw the scale of destruction that was had never existed before in human history. In fact, the like Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and that whole crew, like they were largely hedonistic atheists, essentially, because they had because they had seen World War I. And it just shocked the psyche of the of the European soul so much to see just destruction like that. I was like, I can't possibly be a god. So the moral, and we'll say spiritual, but not sp- spirit in terms of like fighting spirit. The the spiritual foundations of the West have been rocked at the deepest level. Like, who are we as a people now that this has happened? And so into that environment, in the environment of especially in America and prosperity as well, which followed here. You, you introduce this new art form, right? That is, that appears to be vibrant, but that's also heavily sexualized. That's also yeah. drug fueled. Like the entire jazz age was fueled by heroin. Like that's mm-hmm. just a thing. Miles, Dave, Miles Davis in his autobiography talks about the number of different jazz stars that were all addicted to heroin. Yeah, so it was sure. drug and sex fueled music scene mm-hmm. injected into a d a dispirited disillusioned west and that's one of the reasons why it was was elevated and so that though the music art form at the beginning was brilliant and i agree with you that like coltrane and chet baker and all they're they're all incredible i mean if you look at what happened has happened to jazz now it is not what it was at all yeah but in the very beginning the transition from pieces that were performed by orchestras that required massive amounts of skill and training for dozens of people to perform and coordination became about one guy standing up there just improvising mm-hmm. completely different and in, in, in nightclubs in dark nightclubs not concert halls yeah. with drugs and alcohol 
right? And sexuality, not, mm-hmm. not, not education, let's say. And so it was a completely alien art form that came into the West and took root and started spreading. That doesn't invalidate the art form itself, but it's to say it's, an, it's, a, it's a foreign form of art. I'll probably lose my entire podcast for saying those things. But. <laughs> well, I think, I think you said it well. Um, I, I mean, it, it's funny. So in that the period after World War I, is, isn't that the reconstruction at that point? Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Civil War reconstruction was after Civil, Civil War. <laughs> I think it was like 1860s or something. After World War I was um, the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. And then uh, the Great Depression was in the 30s. Mm, got it. I can't really argue with that. I mean, that sounds, that sounds right. I mean, and, and it, I mean, it probably tracks more than what I'm trying to say. And, mm-hmm. and in some ways, like, I, I, it, would, it would pain me to, 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 to agree that it was destructive because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's me, right? It's what we brought over Sure. But I mean, like it wasn't you like any more than, I don't know that it's you any more than like, yeah, I come from a Jewish background, but like, doesn't make it me, but I get what you mean. There's some, is collective guilt a thing? I don't know. I mean, like assuming you, I'm not trying to guilt you by the way. I'm just putting the idea. No, no, no. I I think that when I say it's me, I I mean more along the lines of like, it's, it is a part of, it's a part of my heritage, right? I see. Um, And I love jazz. I grew up on jazz. Mm Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, it'll be a challenge for me to, to see it in that light. But I mean, like, as with anything that humans create, it has the ability to do damage, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that what we just talked about before with Western ideologies, like if you don't have Christ at the center of that, yes. it's materialism. Yes. It's just Rome before Rome fell, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and I guess... Because Constantine happened after the fall of Rome, right? Or was that right before? That was before. My understanding of Constantine is that he was looking for a way. I don't know. I, I need to read. I haven't read read this part of church history. The whole thing is he saw a vision of a cross in the sky and with the message, by this sign you will conquer. And so that's why he became Christian, allegedly. I don't, I don't know. That's the story that I've heard. But that also politically back in Rome, the Rome was being torn apart by its own multiculturalism. And so yeah. Christianity had a unifying force for him to to assert power, right? So to what extent that's true, I don't know. This is a really interesting point. So, okay, you have Rome. This is good to paint out. You have Rome that's multicultural. You got America that's multicultural. Okay? You got a guy that says, let's Christianize this area, unify on that front. And it sounds like that's what we're trying to do in some sense now collectively mm-hmm. is that is that just so then is a is a nation that christianizes just a nation that is on its way out like is that just an inevitability in some way you know i think the question i think the question that if i were to answer it for like a for like a doug wilson you know kind of kind of wilsonian answer i don't want to put words in his mouth. That, let's this is good yeah. That's a good key hashtag that Wilsonian Wilsonian. Yes. <laughs> so I think, I think when Rome fell, uh-huh. the alternative, there weren't, I don't, I don't know how many alternatives there were like knocking on the doors, right? Like it was a very different world. Now, if America falls, 
there's far worse alternative wolves that are just perched right offshore, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so the Christianization of America, like the, the, the stakes of America falling versus the stakes of Rome falling are very, very different for, in terms of their global implications. Because yeah. when Rome fell, South America was fine. They didn't even know about it. Yeah. But if America falls, like some form of tyranny, probably communism, whether it be of the Chinese variety or the World Economic Forum variety or whatever, will spread across the world. It seems almost inescapable. And so the Christianization of America is not an attempt to shore up. Actually, Doug Wilson gets into this at the end of Mere Christendom. It's not an attempt to shore up an existing regime. It's an attempt to replace the existing regime with the Christendom 2.0. It's not to let's reestablish the post-war liberal order supported by Christianity. It's like, no, this is, this is okay, here we go. This is a better way to think of it. Who, if America is going to fall, if it's going to crack up and fall, which a lot of people seem to think that it will, and you and I talked about that, who's going who's gonna to conquer the land that's left? Is it going to be the Russians? Is it going to be the Chinese, World Economic Forum, or is it going to be the Christians? And that's the question that mere Christendom and Christian nationalism are trying to answer. If America is going to fall, the Christians should be the ones that conquer this land. I think mm. that's probably the idea. To, to speak in, I don't, again, not to put words in anyone's mouth, but that would be, I think, a, a Wilsonian way of thinking about it. Hope, and hopefully that's not, that's not meant to be offensive or caricature. It's like, this is, this is happening, and what are we as Christians going to do about it? Yeah. Right? We're not going to become American Christianists you know, right? Yeah, yeah. I, understand. I understand your point. And, and, I, and I think it goes, we were talking about this before off air. I, I don't know. I like the vision because it is a positive one. Yeah. I just don't know. <clears throat> I just don't know that Christianity as a, as a religion is a, is congruent with political power. That's the, that's the big debate. That's the big debate. There's a lot. Uh, there's another book written by one of the guys on the theology podcast that he put forth called Slaying Leviathan, and it's mm. H for Christian Resistance. Mm -hmm. It's Glenn Sunshine. Glenn Sunshine. Yeah, good guy. It's one that it. It's thought provoking, but I just like if if you look if you're looking at the personhood of Christ, you don't see political conquest. You right. see, in fact political subjugation, like willingly going to the cross, right? Sure. And then you read, you know, I'm sending you out a sheep amongst wolves, therefore be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves and flee that if they're coming to persecute you, you know, Jesus actually says, flee the town, right? You don't, you don't, you know, you don't need to do needless persecution, right? right. If you can get out of it, get out of it. If you can't get out of it, then accept it, take it on the chin, like a woman, woman, you know? Uh, and, and so, but even with that, even with that admonishment from Christ, there's no sense in which we're to siege the throne. I just I don't see that anywhere. And I haven't read Doug Wilson's book. It's probably it's probably one that I should read, but I've not it's really read good. But I just I, I I can't I don't see a way that we get I don't see a way that we get involved uh from a political power standpoint. I, and maybe that's not his point. Maybe his point is more so, and it sounds like that's what it was, is maybe his point is more so along the lines of we just become influential in our like local communities. Maybe that's more of what he's talking about. 
Um, there was another guy that has this book called the uh, the Benedict Option. I can't remember his name now. I read it back mm. in Dreyer. Dreyer. Rod Dreyer. Yep. Yep. He's a Catholic Catholic thinker, but he's got a great that book is good. The Benedict Option was basically centered around creating like small Christian like local communities and enclaves. Not that different than what Doug Wilson's doing in this in his area. And if that's if that's the vision, like if that's what we're talking about, I don't know that anybody I don't know that anybody would be opposed to that. It just sounds like or has sounded like from other people that the goal is for us to become politically powerful. And I don't know that that's ever worked for us. Mm. Uh, I don't know that any Christian nation has withstood the test of time. Like any nation, all nations fall. So, I mean, there's no real, everybody falls. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just don't know if that's our lot necessarily. You know, so so this this I think is the this is the point of the Stephen Wolf book, The Case for Christian Nationalism, is it's a 450 page dense scholarly book. Like it's yeah. meant to be not quite a textbook, but it's meant to be one of those heavy, heady intellectual books that's like very that's very difficult to chew on. Like you have to work at it. It's not one of those yeah. books. It's not a you know versus like mere Christendom is is easier to read. And more inspiring. Uh, the case for Christian nationalism is meant to be this very heavy thing that you have to chew on and digest. And Stephen Wolf works through that very point that, mm. that what he is essentially doing is re explaining the notion of government entirely. And what he begins with is the premise that, that we've absorbed in, in, in the West, in America, especially, I think, probably in America, that government is this secular third party kind of thing right that like that is this neutral ground that's the idea that we kind of live with and what he says is that we're supposed to take dominion over everything 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 is supposed Mm -hmm. to be put in service and so government falls under the heading of everything so a christian government what would a christian government look like and the way that he frames it is you have you have at the top, you have ecclesiastical power, which is like the church and Christ is the only, the only thing that can save, right? That, that's the only thing that can save. Beneath that is government power, and beneath that is cultural power. And the entire thrust of this Christian civilization, this is what he lays out in the book, is that the cultural power influences the government, which is influenced by Christian principles to orient people towards the church and towards salvation. So cultural and civil civil magistrate power are all meant to orient people towards a Christian life and salvation in Christ, which only takes place in the church. So the government doesn't save, culture doesn't save, Christ saves, and everything in government and culture is oriented towards Christ. So the mm-hmm. so whole nation, the whole civilization, it, it's really can be considered uh, the, the case for Christian civilization or uh, the case for a Christian civilization. That's really the vision. It's not so much Christian nationalism. It's a case for a Christian civilization. And I found that vision to be very, very compelling because he thought it all the way through. The hinge point is that he doesn't actually, what where people I think struggle is that he doesn't believe in democracy because he doesn't, he doesn't agree that uh, the rule by the ma- the majority is going to produce the necessary results. So mm-hmm. he proposes something called a, what he calls the Christian prince, which is essentially a Christian a Christian. It's not really a monarch because ecclesiastical power isn't invested in him. Like he's not the center point of the church and the state like a king would be. 
but it's sort of like a benevolent civil magistrate Christian dictator who administrates mm -hmm. the government, but even his power is limited. He doesn't have mm -hmm. power over the church. So like that's the part where I think a lot of people get stuck. So it's not really American in that sense, but it's like look, you know, a no like a, a noble ruler for a noble noble ruler of the civil magistrate properly discipled in Christian principles and brought up, you know, with Christ and the 10 commandments and the whole story will do a better job than the people. <laughs> and that's yeah. the, that's the theory. And that's yeah. why people don't like it. It's like cuz with Americans we're like we don't like the idea of a King or a dick, mm -hmm. we don't like that, and the, and it's, I, I don't disagree, but it's like at least he states his case. He makes a case for it. Yeah, yeah, better than what other folks are doing, or at least create creating a vision. Right. You know what I'm saying? Everybody else is talking about it. So okay, because that was that answers my question. Because I was going to ask if <clears throat> when we founded America, you, you were telling me that fifty of the original fifty five. Uh, the sign of the Declaration of Independence were Christians. Because mm -hmm. my question was going to be, haven't we done this before, right? Haven't we tried to develop a Christian nation before? And yes. We have, but with the wrong system. We, 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 did, a, we did a republic and not a uh, monarchy-esque situation like what you're talking about. Well, this is this is Will Doug Wilson gets into this. So again, like case for Christian nationalism and mere Christendom by Doug Wilson, they pair well together. It's a little bit like salt and pepper. You know, like you put them together on the dish and you get a pretty nice flavor. And so Doug Wilson talks about this and he says that the first version of Christianity as as documented in the Constitution is actually the most Christian civilization that has ever been created because the con the, the essential message of the Constitution is that men are fallen sinners and men staff government so we should make sure to constrain the power of fallen sinners within government and so that's what the original version of the constitution did was drastically constrain the powers of the central federal government in favor of the states and so that's a very christian informed vision if not an explicitly christian government it was a christian informed vision that that men can't be trusted with power so by decentralizing power we we essentially create a more just society. The friction is a is a feature, not a bug. Now mm -hmm. and you can see also in there there's a gap between him and Stephen Wolf, right? Which is why like they they don't agree on a lot of things. But I like that between those two points, at least we can at least two data points, we can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is good. This is mm -hmm. good. Good conversation. because um, yeah. it's one that we need to have. I'd be interested to find out how many black people he's talked to about the idea. I mean, it's just to see what Bodie Bauckham has to say about the idea. Yeah. Bodie Bauckham has, as far as I can tell, he's taken the, the stance, which many do. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a space in the dialogue that's been carved out, which looks a little bit like, I don't like the term Christian nationalism. That's plank one. And then plank two is, but do I think we should have a, a nation informed by Christian principles? Yes. And that's plank two. And they stand on there, there are a lot of people that stand on those two planks, which is a way outside of the dialogue. And I think he's taken last I heard that was a position he had taken because it's complicated. It's complicated to think through for theological, for theological reasons, among other reasons. And so that was the last statement that I heard him make about him, make about it, because he's not one of those full-throated guys on Twitter being like, to the battlements, not like me. <laughs> like yourself. Are you just starting fights on Twitter now? Is that what you do? I try to. 
Is it still the year of hurt feelings? You know, the year it is still the year of hurt feelings, but I, I think I, I hurt a lot of the feelings already. I've got right. some more. To, I mean, it's the end of the year. I should probably hurt some more feelings, you know, in the last couple I mean, Q4, you can, it's Christmas. You know what I mean? It's like, Christmas. It's Christmas, bro. You know, like Q4, like it's okay. Just well, tell her it look good. I think, I think what happened is that like I, all the feminists and all the red pill feelings have been hurt so thoroughly that everyone's like, okay, right. Like all those guys, like all the, all the red pill manosphere dudes, they all got their feelings so thoroughly hurt. And that's fine. We've, we're done. We're done being punching bags for them. Their credibility is eroded. The feminists have all had their feelings be really hurt, and that's just stopped being entertaining. So I think I think that I think the year the twenty twenty four year of hurt feelings will be a lot of a lot of a lot of Christians are going to get their feelings really really hurt. That's that's the plan for twenty twenty four. Pastors, churches. I'm not going to like aim for specific pastors, but it's going to be like, hey, guess what? Christians are cowards in the face of feminism. Uh, and so we're gonna <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be 2024 what do you break that down for me too because i i i see that but what do you mean what do you mean by that mm. so i was thinking about this i was i was running an errand i was at an appointment actually i was on the way home and i was thinking that like uh, i'll probably do a, a series of tweets about this feminism is not just a political movement Feminism is the political expression of a theology, of a religion. And so that theology is that women are cosmic victims, and we all need to bow the knee to women's cosmic victimhood. And feminism is a socio-political expression of that theological belief. And that's actually the very definite, like that women are cosmic victims is essentially the definition of radical feminism. Like radical feminism's own words, this is on Wikipedia, says that Western civilization, maybe global civilization, definitely Western civilization, is founded. The foundation of Western civilization is the oppression of women. And that is the model for all other forms of oppression. So the, in, the, in the beginnings of time, women, men oppressed women to lay the foundations of civilization. And then that model of oppression was so successful, they farmed it out to black people, LGBTs, Asians, you know, whatever, right? So that's, that's the feminist, that's what I call the feminist theology. And Christianity says, no, women are not cosmic victims. Women have a particular place in God's created order which doesn't feel necessarily comfortable for them, but that is their, that is their God ordained place. And so this feeling of victimhood, the victimhood that you have is as a result of Eve's sin. And you can see that there's no middle ground between these two. And so a lot of Christians, when you push them, they are not able to land on biblical patriarchy that women have a place in God's created order. And so instead they, they default, to the theological belief that women are cosmic victims. And that though between those two beliefs, the American evangelical Christian church will crack in half in 2024. I've no doubt about it. It's going to be ugly, but it'll be awesome in the end. Do you think a lot of that is, I mean, obviously you're not the architect behind it cracking, but do you think no. that's where the conversation is going at this point? I, I won't be the architect of it cracking, but, but I will, I, I will be able to, through my platforms, posit that idea and let people sit with it. 
Like I'm not going to walk in anyone's church and be like, hold on while I just get my uh, crowbar. But it's going to be like, you have to reckon with you with the belief, men and women, you have to reckon with the belief in your heart. Do you believe that women are cosmic victims? If yes, you are a feminist, period. If yeah. no, then you might be a Christian. But women cannot be cosmic victims yeah. at, the same, at the same time as you have cr- Christian beliefs. You, they just cannot. Mm-hmm. And so that theological belief is so deep within the American heart, soul, and psyche, the global heart, psyche, heart soul, and psyche, that it has to be rooted out at the most fundamental level. And that and and rooting that out, there's no way that that doesn't tear churches apart because it, because like and not be, not that I want that like yeah. I don't want that but when you recognize like if you're walking around believing that women are cosmic victims what does that mean you have to make restitution to the victims so what does that mean it means you make women pastors because you feel bad that it's a man telling them what to do mm-hmm. that's where it all comes from and you and you have a lot of people you know, who closet support abortion, or you have a lot of people who say, well, my daughter needs to have a chance at a fulfilling career because it's oppression for to be here to be a wife and mother and That's all true. of these. Exactly. And so right. like, and it's all based on the feminist theology. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I would love if, if a hot gospel would walk, wash all over the American Christian church and sanctify this out of everybody. Hallelujah. But the reality is, there are plenty of men and women feminists that mm. cannot get down with the idea that women are not cosmic victims. They can't mm-hmm. get down with that. They can't get down with the idea of biblical patriarchy. I and, think it, I think there's a way that you can, and it sounds like there is, there's a way that you can acknowledge, you can acknowledge that there are some men in some places in time that have abused their power without suggesting that men, that women are cosmic victims. Is that correct? Accurate? Yeah, yeah, and, and but I think also the stories of of men's abuse of women are massively overblown. Mm-hmm. Like I did a, one of my first really popular tweets was a photo of uh, miners going into a coal mine in uh, I don't know oh. somewhere. You was like, look at all these men. Some oppression. <laughs> What's that? You said you said look at all these men meeting together to cook up some oppression in the coal mine. Yeah, going in the toxic masculinity mines to mine some patriarchy to oppress these poor women. And the men are just cramped into this, like basically cattle elevator covered in soot and dust, like packed in against each other to go deep into the belly of the earth to mine coal. And then meanwhile, there are these two women just standing there. It's like, so you get to, you mean to tell me that those men were oppressing those women? Like, I don't know. I don't see a lot of oppression that you say is going on here. And I, and I, I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if you were to take any woman, I say this all the time. If I could snap your fingers, snap my fingers, average woman, and put you in the body of a random man at any point in the past, and you would have to die his death, right? Because there's two jobs on earth, men and women. And if I snap my fingers and you go into the body of a random man, you can't, might end up in a great king or you might end up in a peasant. I'm going to guarantee you that you will not want to die the average death of most men through history. And so like, if we're talking about oppression, you don't want the other job. And that's the that's the part where I think these notions of of they, it gets very blown out. And this is again the feminist theology. It's like women are sinners in need of a savior too. Women lie. Women overreact. Women refuse to take on responsibility. Women refuse to be convicted of sin. Mm-hmm. We're all equals. I mean, you look each other in the eyes and be like, "There's two jobs, and they both have crappy elements." 
mm-hmm. but God's created order is just. Mm-hmm. And that those all those ideas are anathema to American culture. And the American Christian church has been so Americanized that it lost a sense of what it means to be Christian mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. No, I get that. I, I think it's interesting, too, when you read Genesis that when God does give the curse to Adam, and he, which was with his work, and he gives the curse to Eve, which was child-rearing and nursing and all this, yeah. uh, that he gives them covering. He, they, they had made their own covering because of shame, and he gives them a covering of their own without the shame. Mm-hmm. I think the further that we try to move away from the curse, because we don't want to feel the pressure of it, the more outside of the covering that we we get out from God, like mm-hmm. the less blessed our curse is, you know what I'm saying? And then it just gets internalized. And uh, you got you got women dealing with all kinds of depression and anxiety. You got men dealing with all kinds of depression and anxiety because we're so far removed from what our lot is mm-hmm. and we're unwilling to accept it. And so I, I think you raise a good point, and it'll be interesting to see what twenty twenty four holds. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. It's election year, so it's it's bound to be. Oh, I forgot about full that. of shenanigans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. shenanigans, false flags, terror attacks, just you know, a garden variety chaos. Gotta love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I want to clarify one thing. Like, I I don't think I don't I, like. I'm not cheerleading for destruction. I'm absolutely not. But I think that the ideas that I'm talking about, people should allow them to be, they should allow themselves to be convicted by it and then begin thinking about the directions of making righteous changes. It's not like, oh, wow, let me just, let me just rip everything up all at once in my life and others. Like, don't do that. But they should allow themselves to be convicted and begin making changes to what scripture actually says. Are you going to be Americans or are you going to be Christians? Are you going to be feminists or are you going to be Christians? Yeah. Are you going to be white people or are you going to be Christians? Are you going to be black people or are you going to be Christians? This is the this is the real nature of the question. And so we can kick around all these ideas. Ultimately, I hope everyone chooses to be Christians and actually reads the book to see what that means. So, but and all and you're right, it is all taking place in the context of an election year which won't make things any easier. So, in the midst of a culture war and all of that. And that's that's the real. That's the real. the The real challenge is being able to keep your mind on what this is all really stemming from. Like all the, all the problems that we have with 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 race and all the problems that we have amongst the the, the sexes are spiritual. Fundamentally, yeah, I agree. And they manifest themselves culturally. So I don't even know how. I mean, frankly, I don't know how to fight the cultural battle. I don't know how people fight the cultural battle without God because all you're really advocating for is your team winning and the other team losing. Yes. Uh, which is like the goal the goal of the Christian should be redemption. Should be should be trying to get somebody should be trying to get sow a seed that Christ would then allow to grow in that person. That should be the end for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think because of pride we want to win more than we want to we're like we're like uh we're like Jonah. Yeah, Jonah, dude, Jonah, he's uh <laughs> Jonah, he he God told him to go to Nineveh mm-hmm. and to like preach the gospel, or not preach the gospel against at this point because Christ hadn't come, but to tell to tell the Ninevites about Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And Jonah was like, No, I'm not gonna do that, because if I do that, then you're gonna bless him. That's literally what he says. He said, I know if you do yeah. that, you're gonna save him. 
and bless me. And God's like, yeah, that's what I do. It's kind of my my game. And Jonah's like, I ain't going to do that. And so he hops on a boat and is going to go on a cruise. Well, a storm comes, and they recognize, hey, this storm wasn't happening until this guy got on the boat. So they throw him off the boat. He gets swallowed by a fish, and then the fish spits him up on the shore of Nineveh to go mm-hmm. free. And then he goes and he preaches, and what do you know? Everybody in Nineveh turns to Yahweh. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think I I think there's a lot there's a there's a lot to be said about how we approach these conversations. I don't know that I, I don't know that there's some guys on on the right that are Christian. I don't think that they want uh wokies to get saved, dog. Oh yeah, for sure. I think they want wokies to burn, burn in hell. Because they're bloodthirsty. <laughs> yes. And, if, and honestly, if I'm not careful, like if I don't recognize what's really at stake, I can I'm very guilty of like, no nah, man, like whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need you guys to to worship God. I just need you guys to get out of my life, type mm-hmm. of thing. You know? And I think it's important to 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 sit back and be like, yo, the end goal is not for the whole country to be uh uh, for the whole country to be guys that grew up in the faith forever, because at one point, each and every one of us was as bad as a Satanist wokey. Every right. one of us, right? right? We may we may have had our nose clean morally, right? We went to the right schools, we washed our ass, we shaved our faces, and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, you use cotton nails and all this. At the end of the day, <laughs> on what? Oh, <laughs> oh the, the Cottonell baby wipes. Yeah. You oh, yeah. Ke- okay. Yeah. Wash your eye. Okay, Hold on. Side note. Kevin Samuel's <laughs> video. Ali is so funny. He literally holds up a Cottonell baby wipe after the guys get up. He said, like, wash your ass, niggas. <laughs> He's like, you don't need no dingleberries, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And there was just like, man, you watch that. It's like, man, the absolute state of masculinity. You have a grown man who's relatively effeminate telling you to clean your butt. I mean, the right. absolute state of masculinity. This is, this, is this a thing? Is this a thing that, that, that masculine men aren't good with toilet paper? I hadn't heard this part. Apparently, right. Dude, uh, Kevin Samuels made an entire video on this, bro. Do like, I, wanna look, I don't know. I want to look this up. This might no, be it's, too, it's too blackpilling. <laughs> okay. The fact that he had to make it. it That's what I mean. It, you know what I mean? Like there, there are guys walking around here with dirty butts, man. And it's like that God needs Jesus Christ just like the woke needs Jesus Christ. That's true. All, tying it all back. Just because he doesn't use cotton nail doesn't mean that he doesn't need the gospel. Just because a wokey currently is confused about what's a man and what's a woman doesn't mean that they don't need the gospel. In fact, they desperately need the gospel. They do. Desperately. You could we could use their same level of uh zeal for the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're supposed like compassion. You could use that and have it oriented in a proper direction. But I think a lot of us want to win. And it's not about us winning at all. It's about Christ winning, it's about God winning. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think we have to keep that at the forefront of the mind and in the midst of a culture war because it gets personal. It gets personal. I'm guilty. Of, I'm guilty of it too, man. If I'm not, if I stay too long on right wing Twitter, I'm like, man, these white people crazy. They are. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't be like that. That's my. Oh. That's 
I have a responsibility because I know Christ. I have a responsibility to share the gospel with that guy. The white, the right wing Twitter bro that doesn't think that black people deserve to reproduce. I need to have, I need to go up to him and say, hey man, do you know Christ, bro? Have you met Jesus? Let's have a conversation. He probably won't want to talk to me. No. Because I'm not the right phenotype, but <laughs> I can try. Well, you have to try. I have to try. Yeah. I must, you know, anyways. Men, I have great news. My Renaissance Mentorship Program is open once again. Over the past year, I've worked with high-performing and dedicated men, and I'm thrilled with their results. And they are too. My mentorship page has been massively revamped to feature them and highlight the best aspects of the program. And you can go to renofmen.com mentorship to see for yourself. This program is set to deliver one thing for you, that you end in a very different place than where you began. If that sounds a bit vague, there's a reason. I'm not promising you six-pack abs or a six-figure savings account, though if you want those things, that's great. We can work on them too. What I'm promising instead is that if you're stuck, there's a set of problems in your life that all begin in the same place. You. The way you think, how you feel, plus habits and beliefs about yourself and your story that you've never questioned. Those thoughts, feelings, habits, and mistaken beliefs have piled up to deliver you into the moment you're in right now. And if you're like most men, they're way too much to sort out on your own. If you go looking in that messy basement, you don't know what you'll find. It's a fear that plagues most men, not what we know about ourselves, but what we don't. Which is why I'm there, to walk through those spaces with you. The mentorship includes many of my favorite frameworks you can't find anywhere else, including position, trajectory, momentum, the narrow passage, the three reconciliations, and the linkage between depression and anger plus the men's life map, which is the foundation of it all. But above and beyond all the conceptual stuff, you get me to walk with you daily to help you become the man your family, household, community, and world desperately needs. And the best part is, there are now three options for how we can do that, including an option for men with lower budgets, but no lack of commitment and heart, because it's my job to get you unstuck, facing in the right direction, and moving towards the man you want to be which is why it's not therapy or coaching, it's mentorship. You can find more information at renofben.com mentorship, including testimonials from men like you and details about the program. And if you're curious about what my mentorship can do for you, register for a free discovery call and together we'll find that out. Again, go to renofmen.com mentorship for more. Brother, you've been going it alone for too long. It's time for companionship, brotherhood, and my Renaissance mentorship. No, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. It's it's actually a good reminder for me because I have to I think a lot about you know the difference between between how Jesus talked to lost and lost and broken sinners and how he talked to the Pharisees. And like mm-hmm. and how do you differentiate in day-to-day conversation like with someone who's a Pharisee versus like there there are some pretty clear-cut cases one way or another. Like there are people that have absolutely built their identity around projecting Christ. How are we meant to be with them or how, how, like versus someone, you know, that, and that's one of the things that happens on, on Twitter or on Instagram or whatever, this person who's confronting me, how would I identify who they are? Are they proponents of a false religion mm-hmm. or are they just people looking, looking, looking for answers in the wrong way? 
And that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's an important thing because yes, Christ was very, very kind, very direct, like, you know, to people like, look at the way he talks to Nicodemus, you know what I mean? Like, for example, that famous passage, or look at the way that he talks to others throughout the gospels and look at the way that he talks to the Pharisees who are, who are up in his face, two very different guys. Same with Paul. Yeah, absolutely. And so we have to calibrate ourselves based on who we're talking to. Mm-hmm. And like, and that, that I think is a distinction that a lot of, a lot of Christians don't really get. That's where the whole, like be meek and mild and winsome and all that. It's like, no, we have to have different moves. Different right. Moves. And, and accept that we're going to get some of it wrong. Mm-hmm. I think we're allowed to do that. I think so, bro. I, I think, I think uh, us getting it wrong is kind of why Christ came, bro. That's kind of the, the way that. Yeah. Okay. I think into that. God came down because we, 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 we couldn't do it wrong, right? Isn't that how? Isn't that how? I think that's how it works. Yeah. Okay. Just came to hang out with us because you know we just seem so cool because we got it right all the time. All the time, though. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) I got a bounce. Yeah, bounce. Are we done? No. We're done. All right. Bye. Wait, what are you doing? What are you working on right now? What are you? What are you? What are you even doing? Suburban farm guy is is now. Oh yeah, farm. yeah. So what's, that, that, what's up with you, dude? Man, um, I'm gonna get into it uh, as high level as I can. Suburban farm guy was a great, great business model. Um, I actually approached it, and this is this is what God's been dealing with me on. I actually approached it very much from a place of pride, mm. and that's what happens when you're a guy that's like who's got the sauce when you're a guy that's like relatively good at what he does uh, yes we talked about the sauce of the sauce man you got the sauce too every 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 guy that's good at what he does has the sauce and it, and the challenge is not getting lost in it and and I, and I and i got lost in it i i stopped really asking for like guidance and spiritual direction mm. and then god sent me a lemon client <laughs> like mm. absolute limit of a client to humble me, right? This was my thorn in my flesh. And I lost a lot of money. I lost a lot of money on the job because I thought I was too good to fail or too good to deal with it mm. without consulting God. And so that happened. And in that process, I had to like, I, I just am coming to these conclusions. Like in the past, like several work, it was pride. Um, first, I was blaming her, blaming the market, blaming the economy. And then finally, I was just like, God, what do you want me to know about this? And he was like, dude, like you turned your face from me. Right? The Lord builds the house. Those that labor, labor in vain. Unless God <laughs> over the city, those that watch, watch in vain. And you forgot me, bro. So like now this is the process. Like nothing would do you. You wanted to be your own king. You went and you, you realized that you didn't have what it took without me because every, everything that you have is because of me. And now you're, and now this is the process of coming back home. So this is a good season, a good discipline. It was wild. Cause after that happened, that fall happened, I get a random phone call from Ryan King, wisdom of King, shout out Ryan. He, he offered me a job opportunity and I've never been, I've never had a, a man be my boss before. I've only ever had women, which is pretty mm. interesting because the dynamic is different. It's like a coach, right? It's not like a mom, you know, and that's been really good for me to learn from a guy that is much older than I am 
on the not much older, but like older than I am, it's kind of been through the same phase that I'm in, and for him to kind of walk through uh, life with me, and and, um, and I think I need it right now. I think there's there's a time in life to be the uh, the 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 king, and then there's a time to be an apprentice. And I think I tried to jump steps. I think I tried to be king before I was ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm a king in my own right, you know, in my own family. But as far as wielding all of the gifting that I have, I wasn't ready. And I, and I wanted to make that jump a lot like the prodigal son. I wanted to go ahead and get the inheritance now. God's like, all right, have at it, you know? And so it's good. I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm, I, I don't say that somberly. I'm, I don't have any bad feelings about being done with SFG. I'm actually very grateful because it's allowed me to do the the work that I love, which is creating podcasts for married men. And it's allowing me to, you know, take care of my family and actually be there for them. Because when you're a business owner, yeah. uh, dude, it's, it's six days a week, 12 hour days, like especially when you're doing a job that is labor intensive like that was. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I I didn't spend enough time with my family uh, and I neglected them, not in terrible ways. Like I don't want to make it sound like I was a bad guy, but I was not on the ball for sure. And uh, now that now they can't get rid of me, I'm here. I'm locked in. Focused. <laughs> go away, Jonathan. You spend too much time. Here. So, like, can, so I know you got to go, but just can I just ask real quick? It oh, sounds please. like, yeah, it was a, it was a good idea, but you executed it. Uh, we'll say unfaithfully or or poorly. Is that is that kind of how you think about it? Unfaithfully is one thousand percent how I approached it. Okay. Everything that I and this is the. The telltale sign, I think, if you're if you're doing what God wants you to do, is that you won't have to campaign or make it happen. And I think that's because God truly wants you when you say, Oh man, this is God, He wants you to like say that and actually mean it. Like, not like as a cliche, like, oh man, it was I started SFG God. It's like, no, dude, like I went and I asked for money. Like I went and I campaigned for money and I went and I got the leads. No, there's a few leads that came to me, but there was a lot of me campaigning. And like, there was this, there was this selfish ambition, right? And and Paul talks a lot about, or James talks a lot about selfish ambition, selfish ambition being a, a, I mean, a haven for a lot of evil, right? It's like, you know, and 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 I did a lot of SFG from selfish ambition. I wanted to be the man. I wanted to be the business owner. In the midst of these, you know, these conversations we're having around sovereignty and all of this, I just, I, you know, I I marketed it. I'll be honest. I marketed it as, and I wasn't. It's funny how your 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 mind works or how sin works. It's like you can actually say and perhaps even believe that you're doing something for the right reasons, but your heart, your subconscious moving in a completely different direction. And my subconscious was definitely moving towards exalting Jonathan and Mm. not benefiting my family or my community or anything like that. I mean, it's lit. I literally called it the suburban farm guy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, like, whatever, like it's not that big of a deal, but it's, but it was a pride thing, man. And I'm glad to not be that. I don't, I don't, I don't regret it. I think that God, when he disciples sons, he has to let them, he has to let them learn. He has to let them go off in some ways and forget about him or act in their own deal mm-hmm. to show them that, yeah, you you actually need me. Like I'm not, it's not a game. You actually do need me. Yeah. Right? Because my covenant is with you. 
It's like, if you don't have the covenant on you, then you're just out here. It's literally all on you. Like your success is completely your own doing if you make it. And that's why a lot of guys outside of the Christian faith that do make it big and are successful, dude, they're stressed to the max. If they lose their fortune, they're freaking out, they're jumping out of buildings. I mean, how many, how many guys, you know, that like, you know, we're investing in like shit coins that off themselves at the end of it. Sure. It's a lot of them that did that. You know, you know, you got 08 happening with the housing market, guys jumping out of whole buildings. I mean, it's like when your hope is in your sauce and then your sauce doesn't produce what you need it to, and you realize that it's actually subject to the will of God, you're like, oh, snap, yeah. right? And so I think pain, pain with God is way better than pain without God. I'll take that what I experienced with SFG and the the humbling that came from that over the humbling that some of these other guys get that don't know God, because that is a miserable place. Absolutely miserable. Yeah. <laughs> and it came at a time in your life when you were young as well. Like you imagine like having to take that hit at like 50. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's very different. It's a very different state. You're young enough to recover. Like at 50, you can recover too, but like, at 30, you know, your best years are still ahead. I've been saying a lot lately, I don't think um, any man becomes actually useful until he's 35. And that's not, that's like, it's the same thing as saying like a man doesn't hit puberty until he gets to around 13. It's, it's just, it's something that happens to us nowadays. I think it used to be earlier, but now it's like, he doesn't actually get useful until he turns 35 and everything up until that point, like, yeah, don't go to jail. Don't get yourself in trouble. Don't do any, don't do any of that dumb stuff. But like when you turn 35, like suddenly everything starts to crystallize. So yeah, make righteous mistakes like that because mm -hmm. that's a lesson. I mean, that lesson is only going to serve you later. Like you can't see it now, but as I've, as I've said on previous podcasts, like one of the lessons that I learned is that life experience takes 15 years to metabolize. And so like a, a significant life experience won't actually reveal the fullness of its meaning until 15 years after it happens. Like, yeah, you might get it right away. So like just thinking about like, as this whole SFG experience unfolds over the next 15 years of your life, you're going to see what it was really about that you can't even know yet. Yeah. So like, I don't want yeah. you to fail. I want you to succeed. I wanted you to, I want you to crush it. But like, if you're going to, if you're going to fail at it, like take yeah. the right lessons from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I learned, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, learned a valuable lesson about it and I, yeah, I, I want to make clear, you know, it's not an anti-entrepreneurship stance. No, um, not even an anti-SFG stance. The problem was not the tool. The problem was my heart. Yes. That's always the case with anything. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem, the, the, the problem that the problem always comes down to what you want to do, what your intentions are. This is why yeah. Christ coming was so important. It's like it's yeah, you observe the law, but like you're looking at women in a way that you're undressing. You want to screw them, yeah. you know? Your intent is off. You don't even want to do the right thing. You do it because you want to save face, but it's not because you want to do it, you know? And so I think, I, 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 you know, if in 15 years, SFG comes roaring back, cool beans. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to that too. But I recognized that my heart was not in the right place, and I accepted the discipline that came from that. And, the you know, there's humiliation that comes. People have things to say or whatever. I don't care about any of that because at the end of the day, I got a wife. I got a son to, to raise. 
And I don't have time to worry about perceptions of people. Right. I got to worry about taking care of them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, I'm grateful to have gone through it. And I, you know, anybody that wants to start a business, go start one. And if you fail, there's probably a good lesson for you there. So just, just go for it. You know what I mean? This, that's my TED talk. This, I, this just converted to a, a TED talk, entrepreneurship, motivational speech. I Let's know. do a fail first. Fail hard. <laughs> grind. Sigma oh, male grind set, you know? <laughs> It's still a thing. I can't believe it. I haven't heard I don't that even phrase. Sleep anymore, dude. I just like, yeah, Sleep's I've been a waste of time. Making moves. What like that clip you sent me? It's like, <laughs> talk to my kids anymore. They're not making moves. What are they doing? <laughs> yes. That's so true. <laughs> no, I, I got into entrepreneurship at like a high at a really high level when I was like 21 years old, mm-hmm. right? Out of college. And that was probably one of the most formative experiences of my life. And what I tell men now is that, like, look. Not every man is cut out for entrepreneurship, but if you are, go for it. Because if you have anything to show for it at all, meaning like you, you bring a product to market, right? Make sure you file an LLC and it's not hitting your personal accounts, obviously. But if you bring anything to market at all and you, you hire people or you build things and you show results, like at the end of that, even if it doesn't work out, you will be leagues ahead of the next the next closest guy if you go back to the regular workforce because you will have learned lessons that are impossible to learn outside of that experience and you won't just have a incrementalist kind of mindset learning one little lesson at each level at each rung up the ladder you will have like jumped to the top of the ladder a rickety ladder and you'll have learned as many lessons as you can all the way down it's like okay now i know more about business than i could have done any other way and that's what you did and so that's going to put you way far ahead it already mm-hmm. has but it will continue to do so in a way that lesser a, a, a man without that experience wouldn't be able to have and you'll you'll see the profit i have over and over and over again in my life i've seen the profit of that two-year period of my life oh, so man. you'll see it too yeah 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 because you had your background in uh in tech you were you were a young jeff bezos out here i i tell you man if my company literally if my company had worked out like i would have an island right now it was like that yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's all right. It's okay. It's all good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 and 28, baby. That's right. That's right. All all right. That's right. That's right. I'm I'm happy I didn't end up with my own like Jeff Bezos Island. Well, I don't know. I don't like those guys aren't happy either. No, 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 no. Well, and there's, you know. We could get into some tinfoil hat stuff with that. You know what I mean? Last I heard, you had to go, but I, I, I still got some tinfoil over there. We can get into that. Dude, I will you bring, I tell you what, will you bring me back on? We can call it tinfoil with Jonathan, tinfoil with being husband pod. Yes. Because uh, I have to go pick up my son because I am a lame dude who has his son at daycare. Okay. Don't listen. All you young guys listening to the podcast, this is a message I need to tell young guys. If, you got to get, before you get married, get your path set as far as what you want to do for work and get the money right. You don't have to be rich, but get the money right so that you don't have to worry about sending your kid to daycare and having mom still work. Uh, my wife's a nurse and she'll tell you right now. She's like, look, the nine to five as a mother is horrendous. It's trash. Yeah. yeah. She's like, this, they don't tell you. You, you're, you're, they don't tell you you're not built for it after you get done having a kid. Of course, they don't tell you that. 
They don't tell you that. And so my wife is like, Jonathan, you got to get me home. I say, hey, we're going to make it happen. We're definitely going to make it happen. And so we're working our way back to it because it was, it, it was interesting, man. It, it wasn't that model was not something that we saw really reflected at all. What do you uh, mean? The, which model? The model of uh, dad works, gets the bread, mom. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I don't think we've seen that for a few generations. And so it's a very new model for us. So we're kind of like learning how to do it. As we all are, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, young men listening, go get your money right and don't let your wife, when she, especially when she has a, a baby, just, just hang, let her hang it up. Let her hang it up, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, go get that right. But yeah, I got to go pick him up from daycare. He's a, he's a fun guy, man. He's a good kid. Yeah, man. I've got your, I've got the two Christmas cards you sent me just above my desk right here. You get another one this year. Nice. Yes, I'm on the Christmas card. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you've been waiting on. Every masculine man wants a Christmas card, doesn't he? Facts. Big facts. Real men want Christmas cards. Real men want an entire portfolio of their friends and their families growing so like we can flip through them year by year and be like, yep, 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 yep. A thousand percent. (laughs) I'm going to send you one for real. Yeah, please. But book me. I I know you got got some heavy hitters now, so this is... uh, you know, book me later once you get the heavy hitters out of the way. But when you do 10-4 hat, I can go for three or four hours on 10-4. All right. We'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, man. All right. Go get Good. your sons. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you too, man. Thanks, man. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. <laughs>